open up to Ephesians chapter 4. As we know, we've been um, doing a series, Pastor E has been taking us through Jonah uh, and looking at the idea of introspection, and he's spoken specifically about repentance in recent weeks. He's spoken about um, counterfeit repentance, authentic repentance, um, and today is kind of a break from Jonah, but in a way it's not. Um, we're going to be looking at forgiveness this morning. We're going to be looking at what forgiveness is, what it means, and how we can apply forgiveness in our lives. Um, I'm going to say at the outset, this, this is a hard message, um, especially in the, in the time that we're in. I, I think it's hard at any time, uh, but it's difficult, particularly uh, in the times that we're in. But I pray that uh, God would speak to all of us through his word. Uh, we're going to be focusing in on verses 31 and 32 of Ephesians chapter 4. But for the sake of getting the context, we'll start, we'll read from verse 17. So we're going to start Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. And this is the word of God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, it's good to publicly read the scriptures. Lord, we thank you for the blessing that comes whenever your word is read. Thank you, God, for instructing us on how to live. Thank you, God, that you haven't left us on our own to try to figure things out for ourselves. But, God, you've given us the scriptures which have made us wise unto salvation. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning, that we would both embrace your forgiveness and extend forgiveness 
to those who have offended us. Lord, overcome the weakness of the speaker for the sake of your glory. And God, as always, we pray that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God to reveal the Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So like I said, we're going to focus in on verses uh, 31 and 32. Uh, what, What we're seeing in terms of the context of this book is that Paul has been giving believers in Ephesus instructions on how to live in light of what God has done. Uh, He spoke in chapter 1 about the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ, the the free gift of forgiveness. In chapter 2, he spoke clearly about salvation being not by works, but by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, in chapter 2, he spoke concerning how Jesus has broken down the wall between Jew and Gentile so that there are no longer any barriers in terms of ethnicity when it comes to God's people. And in chapter 3, 4, and following, he's going to begin to just lay out just practical instruction on how we are to live in light of what Jesus Christ has done. And so we're zeroing in on this idea of forgiveness. Paul is talking about the new humanity. He's speaking about uh, living, how to live no longer as the world lives, but to live according to a different standard. And so we're going to look at four, I have four points today. Uh, One is going to be the necessity of forgiveness. Two is going to be the definition of forgiveness. Three is going to be the problem of forgiveness. And then four, forgiveness and worship. The necessity of forgiveness, the definition of forgiveness, the problem of forgiveness, and forgiveness and worship. If you notice in verse 32, he gives a couple of positive commands. He gives two positive commands. One, be kind to one another. Two, forgiving one another. Those positive commands are outward in nature. And then he also gives a third positive command, which which deals with an inward attitude. Be tenderhearted. And then he gives the grounds for why we should do all of those things. As God in Christ forgave you. So first we're going to talk about the necessity of forgiveness. The necessity of forgiveness. As a believer, forgiveness is not optional. If we're walking in unforgiveness as believers, we are in sin. It's not optional. We don't get the choice as to whether or not we're going to forgive or not forgive. There's many texts that believe, that speak concerning this, uh, particularly in the Gospels. Consider these things from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. It says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. The idea that's implicit there is that if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. The Lord Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, You must forgive him. Forgiveness is not optional. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, the Lord Jesus says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven 
may forgive your trespasses. Again, forgiveness is not optional. It's absolutely necessary. What's scary about texts like this is that it shows that the failure to forgive may actually be evidence that you're not actually even in the household of faith. We're talking about the difference between believer and unbeliever. Forgiveness, unforgiveness. It's interesting because forgiveness was not seen as a virtue back in the day. If you look in ancient literature of the time, you don't find this virtue of forgiveness. In fact, it's, it's, it's actually looked down upon. And so even amongst some of the, the rabbis and the scholars, whenever they would talk about forgiveness, their limit was two, maybe three times. After that, that's it. Forgiveness was seen as a sign of weakness. Not much has changed. It's the same way today. It's the same exact way today. We always talk about <laughs> fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So our, so our standard is two. <laughs> we give you two, two times to mess up. Okay, you might mess up once, but mess up again, and then, like, we got issues. Well, God is calling us to a different standard. He's calling us in Christ to a different standard. We're going to talk about the definition of forgiveness because um, like many terms in Christian jargon, uh, we use terms all the time without actually unpacking what those terms mean. Uh, and so I think for some this will probably be elementary, but it's important that we're on the same page when we use the term forgiveness. So the definition of forgiveness First, forgiveness assumes that an offense has taken place. Forgiveness assumes that an offense has taken place, a real, genuine offense, a sin, that one person has offended another person. And it's, it's not simply according to how we feel, but objectively speaking, an offense has taken place. If that hasn't happened, then we're not even in the realm of forgiveness. So, therefore, forgiveness becomes necessary when a person has either thought something that they shouldn't have thought, said something they shouldn't have said, or done something that they shouldn't have done against another person. Or we could take it on the flip side. They failed to think something, say something, or do something that they should have done. Forgiveness becomes necessary when an offense has occurred. Now, in terms of the meaning of the word, there's four words that are used for forgiveness in the scriptures. Four main words. The main word that the Apostle Paul use, uses, it has the idea of to release, um, to, to set free, um, like as from a debt. It could literally mean to send away. And so the idea with forgiveness is that I'm, I'm, I'm taking this offense and I'm taking the guilt for the offense and I'm literally, I'm sending it away. I'm removing it from me. In the same way that uh, uh, when a prisoner is released from prison after they've done their time, they're free as it regards the law, as it regards the crime that they've committed, like, like the judge can't come back and then send them back to jail for the same offense. According to the law, they're free. They're good to go. They're pardoned. That's what forgiveness means. Basically, to drop it, to let it go. Now, our text in verse 32 says that, that our forgiveness should look like God's forgiveness of us. So if we want to understand what forgiveness looks like, we have to look. Well, we have to ask the question, how has God forgiven us? I think there's, there's three main ways that I want to identify in terms of how God has forgiven us. Number one, God has forgiven us freely. He's forgiven us freely. 
Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the what? The free, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What does it mean that God has forgiven us freely? It means that we can't purchase it. We can't earn it. It's not based on our deserving to be forgiven. Oftentimes when somebody does us wrong, our tendency is to try to make them pay for forgiveness. So, for instance, if a wife says something mean to her husband and and then she asks him for forgiveness, he may pronounce the forgiveness, but then he'll give the cold shoulder and make her have to make it up or earn that forgiveness. That's not how God forgives. God freely gives. He freely forgives. It's not based on our performance at all. God has forgiven us freely. Secondly, God has forgiven us fully. God has forgiven us fully. Micah chapter 7 verse 19 says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. See that word? All. All of our sins. God's forgiveness is a free forgiveness. He doesn't just forgive some things, but then hold on to others. When it comes to God's forgiveness, he forgives all sins. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17. It says, behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. Not some of them, all of them. God's forgiveness is full. If there was any sin, if there was just one sin that was left unforgiven by God, we would go to hell. If he just left one sin unpunished, or one sin unforgiven, I should say, we would suffer eternally under his wrath because one sin against an infinite holy God is enough to separate us from him forever. Oftentimes, we're picky and we're choosy about which sins we want to forgive. We'll forgive this one over here, but this one? Nah, nah, we got beef. Not that one. This one, uh, okay, but no, not that. That's not how God forgives. God doesn't pick and choose. Usually, we choose, the, the sins that we choose To forgive are the ones that hurt us the least. The ones that hurt us the most are the ones that we hold on to and refuse to extend forgiveness for. When we do that, we're not like God. We're not forgiving like God has forgiven us. Thirdly, God has forgiven us finally. Not only does he forgive us freely, not only does he forgive us fully, but he forgives us finally. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, the promise of the new covenant. It says, and no longer shall one, shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I will remember their sin no more. Now, when it says here that God will remember our sin no more, it's not saying that God has amnesia. It's not saying that he has a bad memory. God knows everything and everything is laid out before him. So what is he saying here? He's saying that he's not going to hold this sin against you anymore. He's going to, as an act of the will, his will, he's going to choose to not hold, hold this against you. And this is final. This means that he's not going to bring it up at a later point in time to condemn you with it. But he says, I will remember your sin no more. And so God doesn't bring up our sins again. Now, the natural question that should come is, how in the world is this possible? How is it possible for God to be able to do this? 
We see it in our text in verse 32 of Ephesians 4. Notice that little phrase, as God in Christ forgave us. As God in Christ forgave us. That in Christ makes all the difference in the world. We should not think about forgiveness from God apart from Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of God comes through Jesus and through Jesus Christ alone. We talked about how God forgives us freely. How was he able to do that? That's because the price for sin was paid by Jesus on the cross. When Jesus Christ suffered, it wasn't for his own sin. He was suffering for the sins of others. He was paying the penalty for the real sins and real offenses of others. On the cross, Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of a holy God against sin, not for himself, but for us. Jesus died for all who have offended a holy God. He died for our sins. All we have to do is to believe the good news. All we have to do is not try to work our way into forgiveness, not try to earn our way into his delight, but the gospel is that all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And so God is able to forgive us freely because Jesus took our punishment. So believe that Christ took your punishment. Believe that Jesus rose from the grave and you will be forgiven. You will be fully forgiven. You will be freely forgiven. We said that God forgives us fully. How is that possible? Because Christ paid for all of our sins, not just some of, some of them. Now, now, this is amazing because, because of the holy nature and character of God, God must punish sin. Like Punishing sin is not an option when it comes to God. He, he must do it because he's just. Remember Micah 7.19, that God treads our iniquities underfoot? How is that possible? Because Jesus Christ was under his feet to receive the crushing when our sin was found upon Jesus. Remember at the end of Micah 7.19 that God hurls all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea? How's he able to do that? Because Jesus Christ was at the bottom of the sea to take on himself the fullness of the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Isaiah 38, 17, God casts all of our sins behind his back. Who do you think was standing there behind God's back to take the hand off of the sin? It was Jesus. Jesus is the one who opens up the door for us to be forgiven. This is, this is great news. Now, now look, if, 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 if you don't see yourself as a sinner who is in desperate need of the forgiveness of God, you're not going to get very excited about this. This message is for the sinners. This message is for those who, who know that they've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what does this mean? This means that, one, nobody is too sinful for God to save. Nobody is too sinful for God to save. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you've blown it. It doesn't matter how many times you failed. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover your sin. It doesn't matter what your past is. Has anybody blown it? Does anybody have a checkered past? God doesn't judge us for our past because he judged our past in Jesus Christ when he punished Jesus Christ on the cross. So he doesn't hold our past against us. God does not hold our sin against us. He forgives every last one of our sins for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. I like this quote from Charles Sell. He says, if our greatest need had been information, 
God would have sent an educator. (laughs) If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. Man, come on. <laughs> About to get Aaron back here on the, on the organ. Stop playing with me. I don't know about you, but my, my greatest need is forgiveness. And Jesus is not an impotent savior. He's a powerful savior. He's not a weak savior. A weak savior would only be able to forgive you for some of your sins. But he's a powerful savior. So that means that he can forgive you for your sins, past, present, and future. All of our sins were future at the time that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And he purchased that forgiveness that we could never earn. I tell you, he's a powerful savior, y'all. I like this passage from Isaiah chapter 1. One of my favorite passages. God says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, sufficient for all of our sins. We said that God forgives us finally. Jeremiah 31, 34, he remembers our sins no more. He'll never hold our sin against us. How is that possible? Because Jesus Christ paid the debt. Jesus Christ is the one who said, it is finished. There's now no condemnation for those who are in him. God cannot and will not call to mind former sins of the one who was trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus perfectly finished the work that God the Father sent him to do. Matthew chapter 26, verses 27 and 28, where Jesus speaks concerning this new covenant, and this is what we celebrate every single week at the Lord's Supper. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. God is able to remember our sin no more because the blood, the infinitely precious blood of his son was poured out for our forgiveness. And so, in light of these glorious realities, in light of the gospel, (laughs) why do we have such a hard time with forgiveness? Why do we have such a hard time with the forgiveness thing? I like this quote from John MacArthur. He says, never are you more like God than when you forgive. Never are you less like God than when you will not forgive. Never are you more like God than when you forgive. And never are you less like God than when you will not forgive. God loves to forgive. God delights in forgiveness. It's a joy to God to show mercy to those who have offended him. God takes pleasure in pardoning people. God takes pleasure in letting people go. God takes pleasure in not holding your past against you. God takes pleasure in not holding the sins you committed this week against you. God will take pleasure in pardoning all of your guilt for the rest of your life. He enjoys it. He likes it. It's God's stuff. That's the, if we want to be godly? Forgive. Let's learn how to forgive. We want to think about godliness? Think about extending forgiveness because we're never more like God than when you forgive. Never are you less like God than when you will not forgive. Who's the one who accuses us? Who's our accuser? Satan, the devil, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. The devil is the one 
who points and says, see, look at what he did. Look at what she did. She calls herself a daughter of God. Hold her sin against her. That's Satan's work to accuse. It's the work of God to forgive. Let's talk about the problem of forgiveness. The problem of forgiveness. Point blank, I've seen this in my own life, and I've seen it in the life of the Christian community at large. We don't know how to forgive. We don't, like, we know intellectually that we should because we see it in the Bible so clearly commanded, but we don't know how to do it. We, don't, we do not know how to do the forgiveness thing. We don't know how to ask for forgiveness when we sinned against somebody, and we don't know how to extend and grant forgiveness when somebody sins against us. And I want to propose that the reason why we don't know how to do either of those things is because we fail to apply the gospel. We fail to apply the gospel. I like this quote from Tim Keller. He says that the gospel says that we are simultaneously more sinful than we ever imagined and that we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared to hope. The gospel says that The bad news is worse than we thought it was. We're actually worse than we thought. And that's the bad news because we deserve to be punished for our sins. But then the good news on the flip side, at the same time, we are loved by God in Christ. We are accepted by God in Christ. Both of those things are true at the same time. And so when we fail in the forgiveness thing, it's because we're failing to remember these things. And so I I, want to get as practical as we possibly can get. One, I'm going to talk about how to ask for forgiveness and apply these principles. Y'all with me? How to ask for forgiveness. How to ask for forgiveness. So we have a situation. There's been a genuine offense, somebody has said something that they shouldn't have said to us, done something that they shouldn't have did, and we're angry. And rightfully so. Let's say it's a rightfully so type of anger. Well, actually, on the, you know what? I'm going to talk about that secondly. First, I'm going to talk about you're the offender, not the offended. So you offended somebody, okay? You're in the wrong you know you're wrong. Now listen, each one of us is going to be in one of these positions at some point in time, if not both at the same time often, okay? So let's say you for, you, you've offended somebody, someone's offended, and they let you know that they're offended. Number one, confess your sin. <laughs> that sounds simple, right? Confess your sin. Admit it. <laughs> Brother, sister, I was wrong. I offended you when I said that. I was wrong when I didn't do what I said I was going to do. I confess that to you. That seems so simple, but it's so hard for us to do that. It's so hard. Why why is it so hard for us just to admit? I'm, I'm talking to myself. Why is it so hard for us to admit That we were wrong. Now we know we were wrong. The Spirit of God is convicting us. And we know we need to go and confess it. And yet there's something within us that's just like, 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 what, what is that? It's pride. It's pride. It's a it's a failure to apply the gospel. It's a failure to remember that we're more sinful than we ever imagined. So, so, so I can confess it if I, if I recognize the gospel says I'm, I'm more sinful than I can, I've ever imagined. So I can admit it. And I'm also accepted. I'm accepted by God. So I don't, I don't have to hold on to my righteousness. I don't have to hold on to, to my image of myself. I, I, I can just admit it. I can, I can say, you know what, forgive me. I confess that sin to you. Secondly, Pastor E talked about this. 
Be specific and be brief without trying to excuse or explain your sin. Be specific and be brief without trying to excuse or explain your sin. When we try to explain ourselves as we're confessing, it waters down the confession. Because the person is standing, hopefully, ready to extend forgiveness. And and you start off right. You know what? I just got to confess. I need to confess my sin to you, brother. I need to confess my sin to you, sister. But actually, the reason why I did it was because... Whoa, 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 whoa! Wait, wait, what is this? Wait, what's the extra? Stop, stop! You, you were doing well. Don't, don't dilute it. And again, why do we do that? Why do we try to explain ourselves? We've, we've forgotten the gospel. We, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to cover ourselves. But Jesus Christ has covered us. We're trying to throw on filthy rags of our own righteousness. But we don't have to do that when we remember the gospel. We say we're forgiven. So so I don't have to explain myself. It is what it is. I was wrong. Number three, ask for forgiveness. (laughs) Ask for forgiveness. Again, it seems simple. But you know what we've done? We've created all kinds of euphemisms to help us not to do number three. So we'll say things like, my bad. (laughs) My fault, dog. The most common one is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me tell you why I'm sorry falls short. Not to be legalistic, because often we know what you mean when you say it. However, the way that I'm sorry falls short is that I'm sorry is not actually asking for forgiveness. It's telling the person how you feel. It's saying, I feel a certain way about my offense against you. And amen, that's what's up. But true forgiveness goes beyond how we feel. Getting true forgiveness says, look, an offense has happened, and that offense needs to be pardoned. That offense needs to be taken away. And so what I need to to do is I need to say, listen, I've sinned against you in this specific way. Will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? Let me tell you why this is so important is because at that point, once once you put it that way in the form of a question, now... You put yourself in the vulnerable position of having to receive the pardon from the person. See, when you say, I'm sorry, you can just say, oh, my bad. And you can just walk away, and you ain't going to even think about the other person. You can just disregard. Like, let's walk through the whole process. The whole process, the same way with God. We came to God. We didn't just say, my bad, God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. We said that because that was true, but we also said, forgive me. Forgive me for these specific sins. It's what we do when we pray. God, please forgive me. And the reason why we do that is because we remember the gospel. We remember the gospel when we're talking to God and asking him for forgiveness. We remember that, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we've remembered that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins. And so that's why we can be honest and naked before God and asking for forgiveness. We need to have that same honesty before our brothers and our sisters. And it puts you in a position of vulnerability, too, because it's hard. It's humbling. It's humbling to have to say, will you please forgive me, and then have to wait for the person to say yes. Now, if they're a believer, they they must say yes. (laughs) But it's hard. But it's what we must do. And then fourthly, thank the person after they've given it to you. (laughs) Thank them. Thank you for forgiving me. It's it's, it's humbling, and we're so prideful. We're so proud. We just want to say my fault and then just get on with it. But you know, that's not good enough for you. When somebody offended you, oh, my bad, and then just walk away, that's not good enough. You're like, hold up. 
can, can we get some acknowledgement here? Like, I'm, I'm trying to work through stuff. Can, can we work through it together, please? <laughs> now, that's for the offender. Let's talk about how to grant forgiveness. How to grant forgiveness. Somebody has offended you. They said something they shouldn't have said. They didn't say happy Father's Day <laughs> when they should have. They forgot your birthday. Fill in the blank. This is how we grant forgiveness, assuming that the person has come to you. Number one, tell the person that you forgive them. <laughs> there's, something, there's something about letting the person know that, you know what, you were wrong, but if it's, a, if it's a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband, you know what, babe, I forgive you. I, I forgive you. There's something very comforting about that. As opposed to just simply saying, ah, it's cool. It's cool, dog. Nah, you good. We, we know what you mean, but for the person who's in the position of feeling guilty because they've done this thing, it just, it, it's, it's just it's something, it just soothes the soul to hear the person that we've offended say, I forgive you. Or what it could also do is it could, <laughs> it could stir up the pride that's in you also. Because, and, and I, I have to give credit to a sister in our congregation who will remain unnamed. I remember when I offended her and I came to her with the, bag. my bad, yo, <laughs> I'm sorry. And she was like, I forgive you. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, one, to hear that made me realize that, that it was like I had actually sinned against this person. And it, it was serious. And the pronouncement of forgiveness was letting me know, like, okay, like, like we're good. We're reconciled. I'm not going to hold this against you. So let's get into the habit of somebody's offended you, they come to you. Let them know. I forgive you. Now, what does it mean in granting forgiveness? One, don't bring it up to the person again. Don't bring it up to the person again. Remember how God forgives? He hurls our iniquities into the depths of the sea. So how are we going to be deep sea divers going down and, and scuba, scuba diving for sins from the past? Don't bring it up again. Don't wait until... Months down the line when, when they do something else, and then you're going all the way back to February of 06. If we're doing that, that means we haven't really forgiven. You don't bring it up to the person. That's it. It's gone. It's released. Also, you don't bring it up to others. You don't bring it up to others. This is a biggie. I like our text. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away. It's not, it's not good enough to say, I forgive you, but then get into your circle of friends and rehearse the person's sin. That means you haven't forgiven them. A True forgiveness means that it's forgotten, that you don't bring it up to the person and you don't go around bringing it up, bringing up their sin to other people. That's not how we want God to treat us. We don't want God shouting out throughout the heavenlies to the angels. Remember when she did that? Nah, yo, you don't bring it up to... If you've forgiven, like we're, we're assuming forgiveness has taken, we're talking about forgiveness here, biblical forgiveness. You don't bring it up to the person and you don't bring it up to others. And then finally, in how to grant for forgiveness, you don't bring it up to yourself. Probably the hardest one of all, the hardest one of all. You don't bring it up to yourself. 
how often do we spend time, even after we've said that we've forgiven somebody, rehearsing it over and over again in our minds, creating fresh anger in our minds. If we keep bringing it up to ourselves, ultimately, bitterness is going to happen. Remember our text 32 says, be tenderhearted. Tenderhearted is the opposite of being calloused, having a callous heart, a heart that is so offended and so angry and holds on to so much that you can't even love this person anymore. Don't bring it up to yourself. Why is it that when it comes to other people's offenses, th think about it. <laughs> we try our best not to bring our own sins up to ourselves because we love ourselves. <laughs> That's what we do with people that we love. We, we don't remember their sins because we love them. Why is it that when people have offended us, we got the remote control, pressing the replay button, the rewind, replay, slow-mo, <laughs> looking at it from every, every angle possible in HD. We can't bring it up to ourselves. If we're constantly doing that, that's the evidence that we're not walking in forgiveness. Now, as I close... I want to read this text from Matthew chapter 18 and then talk about forgiveness and worship. This is a very serious issue, y'all. Very serious. God takes this issue very seriously. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came up. And said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? <laughs> Peter thought he was saying something. Because remember, back then the standard was two, maybe three. After that, you cut off. As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. That must have blew Peter's mind. Listen to the parable that the Lord gives following. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. From where? From your heart. From your heart. This is a heart issue, y'all. It's a heart issue. The Lord has rigged it so that we should not even be able to worship without having this issue of forgiveness settled. Forgiveness and worship. And this is just brilliant. So, so to the offended, to the person who was offended, somebody has offended you. 
This is what Jesus says as it relates to worship. Mark eleven twenty five. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. The idea is how are we going to come into the community of faith where we're singing songs about the forgiveness of God to us, but we won't forgive our brother? It's hypocrisy. Jesus says, don't, don't, if you're holding an issue amongst the saints and you're gathered to worship, forgive. Let it go. To the person who is the offender, you've wronged your brother. You've wronged your sister. This is what Jesus says to you regarding worship. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see what the Lord is doing? He's trying to preserve something here. He's trying to preserve communities of people who keep short accounts with one another. He's trying to preserve communities of people who are not bitter because bitterness can destroy a whole community. Slander can destroy a whole community. It's one of the good things about taking communion every single week. Presumably, what, like what we're trying to do is, man, <laughs> we... we we got to take communion on Sunday. That means I'm going to have to come before God and acknowledge this common union that I have. And so I need to reconcile with my brother. Or I need to forgive my sister. Let's not be hypocrites. Let's not be coming here every single week, taking the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we haven't forgiven Anybody convicted? (laughs) Here's the good news. The good news is that God offers forgiveness. He offers it freely. He offers it fully. And he offers it finally to the one who is trusting in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, we worship you. God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. Thank you, God, that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. You don't repay us according to our iniquities. But, God, you've removed our transgressions away from us as far as the east is from the west. Father, would you give us grace to be kind to be tender-hearted, to be a forgiving people as you in Christ have forgiven us. Grant us this mercy in Jesus' name. Amen.